Well, please join me now in Psalm 139. We're continuing our God is Great series. We've been looking at these glorious attributes of God, and today is no different. We're going to take up the reality that God is omnipresent. So here in this difficult, troubled world, during this series, it's not that we don't care about what's happening. We do. We want to engage in that. But first, we're looking up. We are looking up to our great God. We're finding our hope is in him. Our stability is in Christ. The answer is in Christ. One of the difficulties we're facing is this ongoing pandemic. And part of the problem of the pandemic is how it isolates people. Even introverts start longing for interaction with other people during a pandemic. In fact, I feel particularly sad for single adults. Can you imagine being a single adult told you can't go to work, you can't be around others, you're home, you don't have people around you. We're just not made for that. It's difficult, so pray for the single adults that you know in, in life. And so we're made for connections. We're made for, to be in the physical presence with people. And so even now, it's so nice to be coming back into this and looking forward to soon with, maybe soon without masks, everybody back together. Don't you look forward to those days? We don't like being alone. We don't like being isolated. I thank God for live streaming and Zooming and FaceTiming and phone calling, but we crave togetherness. But here's a wonderful reality today, that even when we feel isolated, even when we are isolated from other people, there's never been a moment when you've been outside of the presence of God. This God we've been talking about, this omniscient, this holy, this loving God we've been talking about, there's never been a moment in your whole life even when you thought you were alone, there's never been a time when you weren't with him. And so let's, let's delight ourselves together today in this glorious attribute of God. Last time we talked about God's omniscience from Psalm 139. But this great chapter in the Bible also talks about God's omnipresence. And so let's pick up now verse 7 of Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Well, this is an awesome truth that David here gives to us about God's omnipresence in Psalm 139. So the first thing we want to note is this. God is fully present everywhere. God is fully present everywhere. This is what we mean by him being omnipresent. Now let's talk about what this does not mean on our way to talk about what this does mean. First of all, this is not a statement of God's size. So when we say God's omnipresent, it's not that he's just so big that a part of him has to be touching somewhere in his universe. This is not like me. If I tried to get in uh, one of those little, little tykes cars, you've seen those plastic little tykes. We have some on our playground here. And if you, if, you, if I were to try to fold myself up and get in one, you'd say, you could say, hey, man, he fills every part of that. My elbow's in one part. But when we're talking about God being present everywhere, it's not that he's just so big. Neither are we saying that God is fast. It's not a statement of his size or his speed. Like we well, here right now, but if somebody were to call on him, he could race to another part of the earth in a millisecond and he would be there but he's not bound by that. Neither are we talking about pantheism. Say, so what's pantheism? Pantheism is the belief that God is equal to the universe, to its physical matter and the forces that govern it. So pantheism doesn't think about merely God being in the universe, but that God is 
the universe. So God is the trees, and he's in the trees, and he is the water, and he's in the water. He is the air, and he is in these things because he is these things. So the idea would be if I hug a tree, I'm hugging God because he is just nature. Nature's God and all that. Or if I feel a breeze on my face, I could say, well, that's, that's God. And, and it's a sad, low, impersonal view of God. And we reject that because it's an unbiblical understanding of God. So understand this. God is everywhere, but God is not everything. And everything is not God. So God is transcendent, meaning he is separate from his creation. But aren't you glad he's imminent? He has chosen to interact and be near into his creation. So here are some definitions that are helpful in regard to what is omnipresence. So Charles Ryrie has this one. Omnipresence means that God is everywhere present with his whole being at all times. I love that. Simple, clear. Omnipresence means that God is everywhere present with his whole being at all times. Wayne Grudem gives this definition. Omnipresence. The doctrine that God does not have size or spatial dimensions and is present at every point of space with his whole being, yet God acts differently in different places. This is what David here is writing in Psalm 139. He's saying this, I cannot go anywhere, God, where you are not. Every place I can go, every place I can conceive of, you are there. So first of all, we've seen this, that God is fully present everywhere. Secondly, God is fully present with you. And I love how personal this is for David. This isn't some cold theological truth. He just, he's not like writing this. Let me just put a paper out on omnipresence. He's thrilled about this. This is a source of joy for him. And so he makes these statements about how God, his, his presence is a perpetual blessing to him. His, the nearness of God is a thrill to him. Look again at verses seven and eight. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? And now he starts to give us some hypothetical scenarios here. Verse 8, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. What's he saying there? He's, he's given two extreme statements. If I were to go to the highest heights, heaven itself, I would find you to be there. But then he reverses it. If I were to go to the deepest depths, I would find that you are there as well. In every place in between. Verse 9, if I take the wings of the dawn, what's he talking about there? So if I were to start in the east and the rising of the sun and, and travel that all the way to the west and everywhere in between, God, you are there. I can never find a place that you're not. And then the latter part of verse 9, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, that's, that's pretty distant, that's pretty obscure, that's pretty mysterious. And David said, you'd, you'd be even there. So if our children would boil down this into theological, this theological truth in their terms, maybe they'd say this, you couldn't play hide and seek with God. Because any place you would go to hide, God's already there. You'd keep finding him every place you go. And of course, it's not David trying to ditch God and to get away with him. He's just marveling at the comforting truth that there's nowhere that he could go, that he could possibly go, that he would lose the wonderful presence of his caring God. God's not just there as some cold force. God's not just present. He's personally present. I love this. God doesn't just send others. Like, I will send an emissary. I will send my representative. I couldn't be there myself, but I'll send somebody in my stead. That's not what David teaches here. Verse 10, even there, your hand, your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. He's fully there, fully himself with all of his attributes. God is 
everywhere. I love this too because this is a prayer. Again, not, he's not writing a theological work here. He's talking to God about this thrilling truth about God, God's omnipresence. God, you're leading me. You're holding me everywhere. So do you hear the security of that? When you know that God is everywhere, that he's with you, that he's leading you, that he's protecting you, that his strong right hand is laying hold of you. And then there's verse 11. Look at this. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. So these are great truths as well. You and I, when we go through things in life, when I, I can't see what's going on and I can't see God in this situation that I'm in, it doesn't mean he's not there. He sees us. He's with us. Darkness doesn't change the reality of God's presence in our lives, his good presence. So let's consider together some practical implications of this truth of God's omnipresence. First of all, this means this. When a Christian's crying out to God in Cambodia, God is with him. Or when a Christian is worshiping God in a Chinese prison, God is with that brother or sister. And at the same time, we're here in Richmond, God is with us. And think about that. This is thrilling alone. If you just said he's in Richmond, we say, well, he's at East End Fellowship. While they're worshiping, he is fully present with them. He's at West End Baptist, fully with them. And he's at Grove and he's here. And then think about it. Our church is scattered in homes right now in an 11 o'clock service. Many will be watching online and God is in each of those places. He's here. He's fully here and he's good. As we've been saying, he's holy and he's love and he's omniscient. And he is here. It's a great truth. And it's a truth that's also taught in the New Testament. Remember, in the New Testament, we're told he's not just here, but he's in us if we're children of God. Listen to this. John 14, the words of Jesus to his disciples. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you. I love this. Forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not does not see him or know him, but you know him because, catch this, he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphan, orphans. I will come to you. Or Galatians 2.20 famously says this, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but here it is, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This, this is the reality we have. God is near to me and he is in me by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Here it is. Who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. So God is omnipresent. Now, if you're one who's trying to run from God, like I, I'm in rebellion and I don't aim to quit my rebellion, there are lots of things I want to do that are contrary to what my loving God is telling me, this should be a sobering, frightening truth because there's nowhere I can run to get away from him. He sees everything. As we saw last time, he knows everything, but he's physically, or, or he's, he's present. He's not physical, but he's everywhere present at the same time. But oh, listen, you're a child of God. This is so comforting to you. He's everywhere and in the believer. He's with you and in you in a very unique and personal way. He's at work in your life, conforming you to the image of Christ. If you're cooperating with him, he's producing his spirit, his, the fruit of the spirit in you, and you're never alone. So think about it this way. When you sin or when you serve, God is there. When you fail and when you win, 
God is there. He's always with you. Those, those lonely nights in a hospital, he's there. Or if you're sitting alone at school, he's there. You're not alone. If you're in a remote village with the gospel, you're not alone. God is with you. If you're sitting at home during a pandemic, you're not alone. He knows you. He loves you. He's with you. There's great joy in that. It's throughout the Bible. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. I love this. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. He goes on to write in verse 6 of Psalm 46. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease at the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear into. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts, here it is again, is with us. So know this about God. Holy, love, all-knowing, and he's present always with us. So God is present everywhere. Take joy, Christian. He's always with you. And then this, he has always known you. He's always known you because he made you. Look at verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were all written the days which were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand when... I awake, I'm still with you. So God intimately knows us because he intentionally made us. And of course, God used our moms and dads, but this was not mere bi biology going on when you showed up in the womb of your mother. God says, I was very involved in your creation in the womb. So rejoice in this, that God knows you, that he made you, that you were you before you were born. You were you before you were fully formed. So understand, every human being is a unique and valuable creation of God. And this truth is denied by many in our world and in our culture. It's been very sad to watch even this year as, as one political party in our state took control and then started pushing the agenda against life in the womb. Ghastly ideas, the idea that even up to the moment of birth, that it would be legal to take the life of a child in the womb. Can you imagine? Of course, we, we go back to conception this is a human life. And that heartbeat so early, what kind of heartbeat is that? That's a human heartbeat. And so we've got that. But just think how radical the agenda. And it's a total disregard for what God has revealed about how he knits people together in the womb. Knows, he knows your unformed substance. Now, you are a human then. God knows you then. So this is not a political issue. This is an issue of evil that we continue to say, oh, I have to be pro-life because the scriptures are very clear. But it's not just the scriptures. Hearing a heartbeat in the womb couldn't be more clear. Feeling a baby move in the womb couldn't be more clear. 3D ultrasounds couldn't be clearer. And then watching a baby come out of the womb and just to marvel at that crying, moving baby and think, that was a human being a moment ago before that one came out of the womb. How could this possibly not be human, now human, just because of their location here? 
So abortion is tearing apart something that God says I was knitting together. Scripture is very, very clear here. Now, sometimes we get the false charge leveled at us when we speak about our concern and our love and our desire to protect the unborn. Some people say, well, you only care, care about humans in the womb. You don't care about people outside the womb. But that's a false choice, and it's not true. And we, we have enough love given as we've experienced the love of God. We, we can love people in the womb and out of the womb. And so as a church family, we've, we've demonstrated that that we love everybody and we love people in the community. We love the homeless. We love immigrants. So think about in our church. So we, we do care about protecting the unborn and speaking out for the unborn. And that's why we support two pregnancy resource centers. So through your giving, we're supporting two to, to give practical help to, to young women who are, who are caught in a difficult time and trying to figure out what to do. And we understand she's going to need some help. And, and so we, we have these two wonderful, loving pregnancy resource centers, one in the East End, one Willow Lawn area. Also, we help Places like Johnson Elementary School, families are going through tough times, and you've been giving food to these students for the weekends for years, and school supplies at the beginning of the year, families just can't make ends meet. We've been supporting a food pantry for years to help the hungry. We've been helping immigrants for years, and when there was so many coming in, uh, our church was giving, uh, we're giving clothes and furniture to help people set up homes as they were coming here. We love immigrants here, and, and this ongoing English club ministry in two different locations that we've been doing, and helping the homeless. We have a team that goes downtown and helps the homeless on a weekly basis with some food and a Bible study, and of course, giving to world hunger. So it's not true that we only care about those in the womb. It's a false charge. Listen, we, we, love, we love everybody, and we want to help anybody who is vulnerable and anybody who's in danger. So think about this, and, and I know you agree with this. All people, every race, every age, every stage of life, right? So we will, we will look out for innocent life in the womb. We care for the disabled. We care for the elderly. God is their creator. We understand every human being created in the image of God. And so we have to treat people that way. We value all human life, and this is why we can never be racist. And so we watch the news, and this topic of racism is at the forefront. And, and I've rejoiced that this is not a new issue for us as a church, that we're, we're already there. We've been affirming that all men are equal for even before I got here to this congregation. And you've heard me through the years speak to this issue, not because I'm trying to undo racism in the church, but... But just, that I have to mention, when we're talking about sins, possible sins, and sometimes attitudes, I'll, I'll just, just, because it's discipleship, right? We can't be lustful. We can't be arrogant, right? We, we can't be greedy, all these things. And I'll throw in there, if, you'll, if you've paid attention to the years, uh, we can't be prejudiced. It's, it's an evil. You, you can't be a biblical Christian and find that, oh, yeah, I can, I can love God and somehow rank people based on their race. So that's not new for us. I, I love that that's true. So, so this past week, after a board meeting that I was a part of, one of the, one of the men on the board is an African-American pastor in the city. And uh, after we chatted a while, he was in his car and he was sitting there. I thought, you know, I want to go. I was just getting to know him. I'd met him at the previous meeting, second meeting with him. I thought, I want to let him know I appreciate him and respect him. And at his window, what turned out to be a, a short greeting was a 45-minute conversation. And what was interesting, it, it explained a lot. When he showed up for the meeting, his eyes were bloodshot. He didn't look physically well. I thought, I, I thought he, he's sick. You know, something's wrong. And I, mean, I was thinking COVID. I thought something's off. But as he explained, there at his windows, me and another pastor talking to this African-American pastor, he said, I've been weeping. I've been weeping. And it started with Ahmad Aubrey when he was killed there in Georgia on the street there. And he said, I, he said, I found myself just crying. And he said, I know these things happen, but 
it, it hit me, and I, I just wept. He said, and I, I was able to move past it, but the next day I'm watching that news story again, and I was weeping again. And then, of course, what happened to George Floyd when he was murdered, he said, I just, it's hit me so hard. And, and, and he's a part of a good church, a Bible-teaching church, a, a church that's actually interracial church. So, but yet, just to know that there's still all this pain and brokenness and sin, it, it hit him hard. And and so we just listened to him, and it was good for me because, you know, you see a lot of things on the news that just distract you, you know, things that can make you mad and all that, but then, wait a minute, but here's a brother who loves Jesus like I love Jesus, and he's hurting. He's hurting, so I need to listen to that and empathize. And then I don't know how we got to Staples Mill, talking about Staples Mill, but I started talking about you. And, and our brother said, that blesses me. He was already, he was already telling as Mark and me, he's always telling us, you, you guys have blessed me. I hope I bless you. You, you bless me. Oh, you blessed us. This is a sweet time. But now I told him about you, and I said, you know, I never hear racism in my church. Never. At Staples Mill, I've never. I've been here 14 years. I'd never hear it. I don't hear jokes in the halls. I don't hear it. Now, again, I'm not omnipresent, and I'm not omniscient. I can't say that somebody has it in 14 years here, but I've never heard it. And if somebody were to do it, we would, we would you know, have to rebuke that. Like, hey, you can't, you can't do that. Uh, I also told him that in our church, though we're still largely white, that we have people from various African nations here, people from the Philippines, people from China, people from Chile in our congregation, members of the church, and how we love that, and, and we want to look more and more like heaven, and he's smiling as he's hearing this. This, I mean, this is not news to us. This, is, this has been the reality. It's just, to me, it's like this is basic Christianity. This is the Bible. We're just trying to live this out, and, and I know we're imperfect at it, but we're on our, on our way toward that, and so, so it was beautiful to watch him uh, to, to, to be rejoiced, to have some of, he talked about it, like some of the burden lifted to know that that that's right. He, and here's what he told me. He said, I'm going to tell people about Staples Mill. <laughs> he said, you bless me. So I'm talking about him today. Um, it's a beautiful. So all that to say, that's not a new issue for us, right? And, and I, I don't have any sense that I'm talking to people who, who are racist. But it is important for us. Let's just nail it down. When you read Psalm 139, God knows us. He made us in the womb. We, we are pro-life, all life. And it's a great opportunity to say that. So no, listen, anytime I bring up, I bring up abortion, I remind myself I need to preach grace. Because you could be here and that might be part of your past. Maybe you've had an abortion or maybe you encouraged somebody to have an abortion. And, and two things. First of all, you need to be forgiven. That was a taking of an innocent life. You need to hear that. But here's the good news. You can be forgiven. Uh, just as all of us have been forgiven of our many, many sins, you are not beyond the grace of God. And so the gospel's for you as well that you can come to the Lord and you just want to confess, Lord, I, I have done this. I did it at a time when I was scared or I didn't know what I was doing or I didn't know what I was doing and I hardened my heart. I did this horrible thing, God, I, but, but I'm coming to you. Your son died for me on the cross. He was raised from the dead. God, would you forgive me? Listen, here's the promise he will. You confess, you turn, repent, come to Jesus. He will forgive you, make you new. So there's good news for you. But let me also say, maybe in all this talk of race in the culture and all these sad images on television, maybe you've had a chance to search your heart. If not, ask God to search you now. Is there, is there some, any lingering racism in you? Any lingering prejudice, maybe, maybe in the big ways you repented a long time ago, but is there anything remaining? And I think for many of you, you could say, no, I repented of that 30 years ago. Praise God. But if there's anything lingering in that, if God's brought anything to mind, you, go, you know what? I, I need to be more careful with my mouth. I need to be more careful what I post. I need to be, you know, I need to be more loving, whatever. Just, just respond to the Lord with that. But now coming back to David's main point here, listen, God is, he's with us and there's intimacy here. God knows all about me, David would say. He's always with me, and he even made me. David's in awe by this God, and you and I should be awed by him as well. Look at verse 17, 18 again. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. 
If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. David not only feels close to God, knows God's with him, but he knows God has a plan for him. Verse 16, and in your book were all written the days which were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So here's the good news. God is with you. There's never been a time in your life when he wasn't near to you, but maybe you've shut him out. I love the passage in Revelation 3, verse 20, Jesus talking to the church at Laodicea. He says these words, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He's always been near you, but maybe you've shut him out. And but it's evidence that he's knocking at your heart because he's brought you here. Here you are, a 930 service in the middle of a pandemic, and you came to worship. God's doing something in your life, but have you let him into your life? Have you said, I do, I bow the knee I want you in my life. I don't want you just near me. I don't want to know about you. I want to know you. And so here's what a beautiful invitation. I'll come in. We'll, we'll have a relationship together. But your move is repentance and faith. Lord, I've been wrong. I should have never shut you out, but I'm throwing the door open wide now. You come in, take over, cleanse me, lead my life. Well, let me lead us in prayer and give you an opportunity to put your trust in Jesus. Lord, right now we do ask you by your spirit to apply this word to every heart. And for those who need to trust in you as Savior, I pray they do that. Lord, all of us, if, the, if you show us anything that we, that's not in alignment with your word, we turn from that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.